how we feel about people who are lost. And I'm using Jesus' word from Luke chapter 15. Remember, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. How we feel about those folks makes a huge difference to how we will engage them or not. I'm going to go to Luke 15 again. And I want to set the scene one more time. Pharisees and teachers of the law strongly condemning Jesus because he's with what they, people whom they called sinners. They say he's talking to them. He's eating with them. What is he doing? They're condemning Jesus. And I, I would suggest to you, <clears throat> as, as you look at this text, we're seeing, if you would, <clears throat> some of what I described in terms of human beings and sometimes the religious crowd's response to these folks. If they're condemning Jesus, what are they thinking about the sinners? These people had no time for these individuals. It was like, you know what? How dare you live in a way that's contrary to what I think and what I approve of and what is contrary to the word of God. Not only were they mad at, the, at Jesus, they're really pretty unhappy with the people Jesus is speaking to. But in, in another way, they didn't really care about these people. You know, apathy. It's not what they did to, to, to care about them and to go toward them as Jesus did and to engage them and to share the good news of God's kingdom. Uh, they just, they, these folks for the religious crowd in this day just didn't matter very much. Ah, so what? Now, I want to tell you, as we've studied this text and as, as we'll continue to describe today, Jesus was very different than those people, wasn't he? Um, he was not mad at these folks. You know, he, he seems to enjoy their company. It says in another part of the Bible that he befriended them. He became the friend of sinners. You know, you're not likely to become friends of sinners uh, or of people that, you, you know, you're really angry with and so forth. And in terms of apathy, no, no, Jesus cared about them a lot. I mean, they were important to him. And he went to them and he engaged them in relationship and in discussion. He became part of their crowd so that through his words, the Spirit of God might work and take hold of their lives. So I'm going to suggest in this, I have suggested in this series, two dynamics for us to really think about. The first one was proximity, as was Jesus. Are we in close proximity with people who don't know Christ? Or are we like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who were at, at a distance from them? That was a challenge, right? And the next dynamic <clears throat> uh, that I spoke to last week was, was value. Um, are these people worthy of love and of time and attention, of relationship, of our hearts? Are they not? Jesus answered that question and said, yeah, they really are important. They are valuable. They are made by the Lord. And they are loved by God. The Pharisees, again, uh, teaches the law. Uh, not that valuable. Why would I give me t my time to such people? And we've been challenged as a congregation, and I hope that you've held on to these thoughts and you've grappled with them. Today we're going to read the prodigal son story, <clears throat> a great story which Jesus follows uh, on from the other two stories that we've considered. As I read this story to you, I want you to notice the, the dynamic of the condition of this young guy. Think about his condition as we think today about him and what Jesus did in light of what he was saying. So let me read Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 31. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. 
After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick! Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. Um, what is the condition of this young guy? We're going to focus in on the younger son who took half the wealth of his dad and went off and blew it in a foreign land. I want to tell you, as we begin to look at his condition, we've got to look at the inter- internal condition, first of all, of his heart. Of his heart. He, he went to his dad one day, as the story suggests, and he said, I want my share of the estate. <laughs> my share of the estate, he said to his father, who owned the estate. Reality is, it's not his at all. It's his dad's estate, but he wants it. And, and, and he, 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 he was discontented with the way things were. And he went to his dad, and, he, and, 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 and out of this desire to, to do something incredibly different and to get away from what he had, he was disrespectful, disrespectful toward the father. He doesn't love the dad in this instance. He's just using the dad to get what he wants. Look at the heart of that young guy. You know, there's a pride there. There's a self-centeredness there. It's all about him and what he wants out of life. There's this discontentedness that settles into his experience. Everything here is good. I got to get away because life's better over there. And think about the moral condition of his life, you know? It says that he wasted the money on wild living. The brother brings some clarity to that. Squandered the wealth with prostitutes. You know, he sank pretty low from God's perspective in terms of how he was living. That's not to judge or condemn. That would be contrary to the passage. That's just the reality. And in the end up, and in the end, where did he end up? He ended up in poverty. No money no friends, he's alone, he's feeding pigs, which would have been repulsive to a Jewish person. You know, no one gave him anything to eat. <laughs> he, he was so hungry that he said he was starving to death. 
All he wanted to do was eat the food that the pigs were eating. Are you beginning to get a picture that Jesus is painting of this guy and his condition? Jesus is essentially saying he has become destitute. Life has fallen apart for this young guy. He's in a terrible predicament. And I want to tell you, Jesus' point is clear. And he's essentially saying, you know, this young guy that I'm describing here, he couldn't have gone much lower. He is lost in his life. Well, the story, you know, goes on, and, and the young guy says in verse 17, that he, it says that he came to his senses, and he says this, how many of my father's servants have food enough to spare, and here I am starving to death. He realizes that the condition of his father's servants is far superior to his own. Even his father's servants are incredibly better off than he is in this circumstance. They have food to eat. They've got extra food, and he has none. When the young guy comes home, there are two responses to his condition. I'm going to tell you about the second before I describe the first. The second is that of the older brother. And he's mad. You can hear it in his words, can't you? He's angry. You know, he condemns his younger brother. He judges him severely. He refuses him close proximity. He's not willing to go in to be with him and to celebrate this guy's return. Look what he's done with your money, Dad. He's wasted it on prostitutes. And he's mad at the dad. Angry. And in a way, although anger is the primary response here, I see apathy as well. It's like he's saying, you know, he has chosen his path. Let him suffer. <laughs> Let him starve. Who really cares anymore? Now, the other response is dramatically different, and it is that of the father in the story. And I want to suggest to you, verse 20 is the critical verse, and I'm going to read it to you. Look at the response to the father when he understands the condition of his son. So he got up and went to his father, this young guy. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Now remember, that's before the young guy opens his mouth by way of apology and confession. The dad sees the condition of his son. He recognizes the reality of, of, of what his son has been through. It would have been obvious. He would have been gaunt. He's starving to death. Think about what his clothing would have looked like. Probably filthy from the pigs. Probably torn and worn. He looks at this young guy and he sees that he's you know, he's spiritually and physically and financially and morally bankrupt. This young guy has hit bottom and the dad sees it, right? He knows it. And upon seeing this young guy's great need, the father, out of love, is led to a deep compassion in his heart for his child. And he runs to him and, as you know, offers him grace and forgiveness and acceptance. Now, I want you to think about the context again. Step back from the story and remember the context. Pharisees and teachers of the law, Jesus with a bunch of sinners over here. And Jesus is telling the story. What's he saying? What's he communicating? <laughs> What's going on? Let me ask you this question. In this context, who's the older brother? Who is the angry older brother who's condemning the people who had really blown it and who had hit bottom, if you would? I want to tell you, the older brother is the group of Pharisees and teachers of the law who are condemning Jesus because he's hanging out with sinners. 
They're standing back and saying, what are you doing? Why love them? Why give them attention and time? Why value them? Why get into close proximity? You should not be doing that. And they condemn and they judge. You know, bottom line, they're mad at sin and they're condemning of the sinner and they really didn't care for these people at all. Who's the father in this story? Think again, context. Pharisees and teachers of the law, Jesus with the sinners. Who's the father in this story? Well, what Jesus is saying in this instance is that I am the one who have compassion on these people whom you are angry with and whom you are condemning. And I have compassion on them because I see and I understand the need in their life. And I know, how, how, I know the reality of their condition and their brokenness. See, what's going on there is he's teaching these Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He's challenging them in a pointed, and I would suggest to you in an incredibly strong way. What he is saying to them, and I want to suggest what he is saying to all of us through this scripture uh, and, and its teaching is this. It's only when we understand the condition of people who are lost to God that we will, we will be moved beyond anger or apathy to engage them in love by sharing Christ with them. It's only when we get beyond being angry with people <laughs> that we will come to a place where we understand their hearts and their condition and their brokenness and will be moved to compassion. So like Jesus, we walk toward them and embrace them in love and tell them of the hope that we have in Jesus and how that can change their lives. See, understanding touches the heart and it changes it. When I was uh, at seminary a second time, went back to Knox College, which is part of the U of T campus, uh, in Toronto downtown. Before I went to that uh, experience of seminary, let's call it that way for a couple of years, um, I had an opinion about street people in Toronto. And it wasn't very good. I'm not proud of it. But my opinion generally could be summed up in this way, get a job and take care of yourself. Way to go, Chris, right? Good for you, buddy. But that was essentially it. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, make a life for yourself. I went to, uh, to, to seminary right downtown Toronto and I discovered something about these people that I didn't know before. And that is that 90% of them uh, struggled with mental illness, very often serious mental illness. And I also discovered that a large majority of them also were teenagers who had been sexually or physically abused in their homes and they couldn't stay in their homes anymore and they gathered together in the downtown Toronto core, at that time 10,000 of them approximately. And as soon as I understand, understood their need, when I understood their condition, all of a sudden my heart changed towards them. <laughs> and I had a compassion for people like this. And it, and, and it gave me a different perspective entirely, you see, when we understand the condition of people and the love of God is within us. I want to tell you, our hearts change. And compassion wells up within us. You see, if we're mad at people, it's not likely that we're going to go to them to tell them about Jesus, is it? If we're apathetic about them, like, who cares? We don't bother because who cares? And, and I'm here to ask you this morning when, to, to be as honest as you can be with yourself about what's going on in your heart. When you think about people who are lost to God, what do you feel? And what do you think? 
I want to suggest in this story that Jesus is teaching us something about their, the condition of people who are lost to God, who are at a distance from him. And I think there's some characteristics in this lost son before he was found that tell us a lot about where our people are at without the Lord. You think about this discontent that was in the young guy's life. Aren't we living in a society of people with a ton of discontent? <laughs> you know, in a society that's on this binge materialistically and, and in a consumeristic way because there's a belief that I get more stuff, then I'll find happiness. And of course, they get the stuff, but they don't find the happiness. You know, people who are really pretty much living for their own sake, that self-centeredness, even that selfishness that's there, not aware of the incredible blessings that surround them, not content with what is and what God has given to them, but I always need more, I need more, I need more. What about the reality of moral living or lack of from God's perspective? Um, a lot of people are engaging in practices that are so contrary to the word of God and contrary to the heart of God for them. They're living in a way that they think is real life. They've thrown off moral boundaries and they're doing what they want. And they think this is fantastic and good. <laughs> but what does the story tell us? The story tells us you might think that for a season, but it doesn't end up that way. And what the Bible tells us is that whatever the word of God says, it's the expression of the heart of love for, for people. Whatever we, wherever we engage in sin, no matter how much fun we think we might be having, that sin will harm us. And it'll take us to a place of real struggle and difficulty. Ultimately, if you think about it, when Jesus describes this young guy who is destitute and morally bankrupt and spiritually bankrupt, we can't avoid the idea that he's thinking about not only this life, but the life to come and where sin takes us as human beings at times. It was Jesus who talked about and often described the potential for human beings without grace and without forgiveness, living in eternity without God. He called that place hell. And he said it's a reality. Think about the poverty of this young guy, his soul. We don't live with a lot of financial poverty in the world. Sometimes it is the case. But very often there is a spiritual poverty. You see, the picture that Jesus is painting is here is, and this is if we believe him. The picture that he is painting is, is one of great need in the lives of people who are far from God. They are hurting and they are broken, broken and they are struggling. And what Jesus says to these Pharisees who were standing at a distance as he describes the Father, as he describes his own heart through the story of the Father, he says to those Pharisees and those teachers of the law, would you have a heart for these people? Would you care about them? Would you have a compassion for their circumstance, their condition? Would you show them a little love instead of standing back and condemning them all the time and judging them for how they choose to live? My friends, I want to tell you today that I think this word of God comes to us in the words of Jesus that were spoken to those Pharisees is being spoken to us today. And the word of God is saying, understand the condition of people who are far from God and have a heart for them and be filled not with anger and judgment or apathy, but be filled with a compassion so much so that it will drive you into their presence that you might love them, that you might tell them about that critical thing that they need to know, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there is hope and there is healing and that there is life in him. And it is this for which they were created. I guess the point here essentially is how do we see the lost? 
How do we see it? How do we see them? Can I ask you that again in real honesty? Think about your neighbors right now who don't know Christ. And I would imagine you have a pretty clear sense about who does and who doesn't. What do you feel about them? What have you felt about them? Anything? Some of you might have real partiers who live next door who keep you up at night and you're mad at them every other weekend. Some of you might have really nice people who live next door and they're respectful to you and you're respectful to them and the fact that they don't have Jesus, huh? Apathy. What about the people that you work with? I really want to press the point here today, my friends, because I think Jesus is pressing a point really hard in this text. The people that you work with and you know they don't know Jesus probably because of how they speak and probably because of how they live, how they treat you, What's going on in your heart about them? Think, think about people who go to parties. I'm thinking of the teenagers among us and probably adults too where, the, where the, the teenagers drink heavily and do a whole lot more that is contrary to what God wants. What's going on in your heart to, 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 toward them as far as you're concerned? You know, my friends, it is so easy to, to condemn out of anger. And it is so easy to be apathetic because of we have what we have. But in the end of the day, the Father represents the Lord Jesus, and it's the Lord Jesus who's calling us to a deep compassion, considering the condition of the people who live without Christ. You see, this Father ran toward the Son, and He kissed Him, and He threw His arms around Him. He identified Him as His boy. And Jesus is saying to these Pharisees and teachers of the law, that's me. That's what I'm doing. And he's essentially saying to them, that's what you need to get, get, get at. That's what you need to be about. You need to love these people. You need to stop being angry with them or apathetic toward them. And you need to do exactly what I'm doing as I'm, I'm walking over to them and figuratively, figuratively I'm throwing my arms around them. And I'm loving them because they are precious people to God. And they need to know about this kingdom of God and the grace of God and the forgiveness of God and the love of God because of their condition. And if they find faith in this God, their lives will be blessed dramatically. And they'll end up in the celebration, knowing the Father's love, eating the fattened calf (laughs) with God. And I want to suggest, my friends, that's exactly what Jesus is calling us to. See, here's what this series is is, is based on, a very, very simple idea. We all have beliefs which cause us to share our faith in Jesus or cause us to not share our faith in Jesus. Sometimes those beliefs are unexamined, um, but they're there and they're very real and they're powerful in this way. Sometimes there are people in our church who have a passion to share Jesus and in the church at large, and there are people who don't for whatever reason. And those beliefs I've tried to identify to you, in each of these three stories, there is a lie and there is a truth. In the first story, the story of the lost sheep, the lie was God wants me to stay away from such people as the Pharisees and tax collectors did. That's a lie. The truth is God wants us to go toward those people and share relationship with them and love them. The second story, the story of the lost coin, 
The lie is this. These people aren't worth my time. They're not valuable. They're not worth, worth my attention. They're not worth my heart. You know what's the truth? The truth is, oh my goodness, they are because I have created these people and I love them. They are precious to God and they are of great value as a result. And what's the lie today? Let me suggest to you it's this, and I want you to examine your hearts and see what you believe. Non-believers are okay without Jesus. And what's the truth? The truth is that they're in great need without him, and their condition is dire. Now, can I ask you, which do you embrace in your heart of hearts, deep down? What do you believe? You know, I went on Wednesday night on, up to the Thistle Theater. I have trouble saying that sometimes, but in Amberl. And right now, for a couple of weeks, uh, there's a play being presented about George Leslie Mackay. And we've talked about him before. An incredible Presbyterian missionary that came from the Amberl area, the Amberl Church at the time. Um, and he had, he had this passion to go to what was then called Formosa, now Taiwan. And, you know, it was, it was, he was an, a different character. He was a strong-willed Scot, first-generation Canadian. And, you know, it didn't matter the opposition that he had, but he, he got himself well-educated, and he went to Formosa, and there he, he faced incredible challenge and difficulty. You know, he ministered among headhunters, literally. <laughs> you know, people threatened his life more than once. But he refused to stop telling people about Christ. He had a passion to tell people about Jesus. It gripped his heart. Why? Because he knew the condition of the people of Formosa, Taiwan, and he knew they desperately needed to know the love of God in Christ Jesus. He knew their condition wasn't good now, so he pulled teeth and he, and he set bones and he stitched wounds. He loved them in very practical ways, but he, he had first and foremost in his mind of communicating the gospel of Jesus to people so that their lives could be transformed in the present, taken from what it was to what it might become, and so that in eternity they would live with God forever in heaven. My friends, what an incredible example of someone who was passionate to share Jesus with others because he knew the condition of their lives. A couple of weeks ago, I was listening to the radio, and Michael W. Smith was inter interviewed. Many of you will know his name. He's a major name in the Christian music world. Has produced, I, you know, I don't know. I think the guy said like near, nearly 50 albums in the interview. Um, but what they got talking about was the fact that he was a friend of Billy Graham, a great TV evangelist from the 20th century. Uh, and he would visit Billy Graham, and they would talk together, uh, and they were talking about his death, which happened about a month ago. And the interviewer asked this question of, of Michael W. Smith. He said, in reference to the great man and, and his loss, uh, the interviewer asked Mike, Michael W. Smith, who's going to replace him? Who's going to replace him? And Michael W. Smith responded, and I thought he hit the nail absolutely on the head when he said this. I wonder if it's different now. Not one man anymore. It's all of us. And I wonder how many people in the Church of Christ today, especially in North America, know the power of those words. See, for a whole generation in my growing up years, it was other people who did it. It was Billy Graham. It was my pastor. 
I could, I could list to you the evangelists who were known and respected and listened to. But I wonder if it's not one man anymore. Well, my belief, my friends, is that it's all of us. It's not about us waiting for somebody else to tell somebody about Jesus. It's about us saying, my goodness, look at the condition of those folks and they are in desperate need. They need to know the reality of Christ in their lives. They need to know his forgiveness. They need to know his grace. They need to know salvation in him so that they can be with him through eternity. It's about getting passionate, passionate, like Billy Graham was passionate that people know Jesus, passionate like George Leslie Mackay was passionate and gave his entire life to the people of Taiwan, came back here once, once. Otherwise, he lived there his whole life put up with all kinds of struggle and difficulty just so that some people might know Jesus. My friends, we have a vision in this church, don't we? You know what the vision is? That every single one of us will understand the condition of people who are far from Jesus and will get passionate because of compassion and love in our hearts to go and enter into those people's lives and to love them and to serve them until we have the opportunity to share our stories of what God has done for me. And in the sharing of those stories, then people are going to start to hear that there's hope for their lives and there's hope for their eternities. So much so that this place fills with not people coming from other churches. If you have, you're welcome. We're glad you're here. But not, not from people who have come from other churches, but people who have been lost to God and have never believed in him and who at this point in time right now desperately need to know him. You know, in a little while, we're going to have our annual meeting. And by the way, everybody, please stay. It's not going to be a long meeting. We've designed it that way, actually given you the update from the previous year already. Uh, we kind of envision about 20 minutes. The only thing that will speed that up is if you have a ton of questions or, or lengthen that. And if you have them, then you have them, and that's fine. But we hope to have a great meal together uh, Spaghetti uh, and meatballs by Jed Lau. You know, yeah. Um, but then we want to come together and we want to present to you what we're calling, and I'm speaking on behalf of the elders now, a visionary budget. Um, and I call it a visionary budget because what we have done is we have gone to our staff and, and, and we have dreamed big dreams, you know, about our vision, and we've said, okay, how is this going to happen? And the only way it's going to happen is if we resource that budget and uh, resource that vision in a significant way. And I want to tell you right here and right now, the reality of this is that the dream that we have uh, is a significant dream. We want to see people coming to Christ in significant numbers. We want to see our own people studying Scripture at a deep level and have their lives transformed. We want to see people finding the healing ministry of the Holy Spirit deep for the wounds in their own experience so that they become on fire for Jesus. We want to see people worshiping with passion and praying with passion. And if you know the vision, you know I'm working my way through it. We want to see people experiencing God in deep, authentic Christian community. We call them life groups and having their lives transformed as they live together and study together and pray together and care for one another. And we want to see those life groups move out into the community and see God work through us and relationships form so much so that we are able to share our stories that people do come to know the Lord Jesus. And we are looking in our vision so much so that, that dozens and dozens and dozens of people come to know Christ through God's people so much so that one building is not enough and we have to start satellite churches. And we want to see the church so on fire for Jesus that we serve people both locally and internationally. 
because they're passionate for the things that Jesus was passionate about. And they're willing to, to, to just embrace, my friends, listen to me, they're willing to embrace not the lie but the truth that he has spoken to us. And they're willing to think as he thought and feel as he, li- feel as he felt and then to live as he lived because it is the passion of our hearts to do so. Feeling challenged? Essentially, what we've done is, is put a visionary budget together which will resource the ministries of this church. We've gone to our staff and they said, okay, we've said it's time. Tell us, dream big dreams and tell us what it's going to take financially in order for you to see that your ministries thrive so that this, this vision can be fulfilled. And they've told us. And for the first time, we have put into budget what they've asked for. And it's not insignificant in worship, in youth ministry, in children's ministry, in our downtown ministry. Listen to me. We are, I'm telling you right now, you'll get the deets. My kids call it that. The deets, the details, when you go into the annual meeting, it'll be there for you. But, you know, we're putting 20, suggesting, we are suggesting, we are proposing to put $20,000 more into our downtown ministry because we think it's time to run after what God is doing in that place. 40 people, up to 60 people sometimes who are gathering together to have a meal and hear about Christ, broken, hurting people whose lives have been shattered for whatever reason. God is at work in that place. People are coming to Jesus. The condition of their hearts has warmed the heart of many people in our congregation and we've gone to them in love and they are finding the gospel message of Jesus and their lives are being transformed. And we are saying, along with all the other ministries, but that one in particular when it comes to financial dynamic, we want to resource what's going on down there. We want to renovate the building. I was, I was thinking about how I could describe it to you if you haven't been there. And I was thinking maybe shabby chic is the best way to put it. <laughs> Except there's nothing chic about it. It's shabby. And we want to honor those people. And we want to give them, and this is just a beginning, by the way, but an environment where they know they are loved and where they are honored and we want to create a bit of, a, a, of an environment for them that's quite different from what is in order that the work of God might be done in their lives. And we see people, that group, growing from 40 to 60 to 80 to who knows what God would have. You know why? Because God loves them and because God understands their condition and God is compassionate toward them in a way we can't even imagine and he deeply loves them and he knows the solution to their life dynamic. And the solution to their life dynamic is the person of Jesus Christ. Period. So here's the deal. As we go into this annual meeting, you're going to see uh, a fairly significantly increased budget in terms of proposal. Let me just quickly clarify, moral attention will be given to this. We are putting several items into our budget that weren't there last year, so it looks like a bigger increase than it actually is. That will be explained to you. But beyond that, we're still asking for a significant increase. Let me give you a little detail. Last year, 2017, we we exceeded budget. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you for giving faithfully. We are proposing a 4.2 increase to the actual from last year. When that total is well over $700,000, it's not a small amount of money. Um, And that is without the extras that I'm describing to you. These numbers exclude all those extras that we paid for anyway last year. We're looking for about $38,000 more to come from our congregation. And here's the deal. 
We, we are presenting to you a visionary budget. We are saying it is time for us to run hard after what God is doing both here and down there. And we want you to seriously consider supporting that dynamic. And that doesn't mean just sticking up your hand when somebody asks for the vote to accept the budget as is. What we're wanting to make absolutely clear is we need this church to give more in order for us to do what we think God is calling us to do. Now, that's for you to determine, but please do not vote for this thing if you're not willing to support it financially, i.e. give more. We hope more people will become part of IPC, the more people here, the more giving, et cetera, et cetera, right? We know that financial dynamic. But we, we need to be incredibly honest with you. If this is the time to take that visionary step, and if you are willing to give more, then vote in favor of this budget. If you don't feel you can give more and you don't think it's the right thing to do, then don't vote for the budget. But we want you to. Let me give you this very simple step. Considering the number of envelopes that are actively used in our congregation, we need the people of IPC, the envelope holders of IPC, to give $10 more per week. And you can figure that out monthly, annually, whatever way you want. But if, if that were to happen, we would cover that $38,000 increase. I'll only tell you that because although it sounds like a big amount of money, it's doable because there are lots of us. But my friends, it has to happen. Please don't vote for this thing. <laughs> and then have us ending up without the resources to do what we have committed to do. You hear me? Good. Let me finish with this. The Lord Jesus had an incredible heart for the lost. And he had an incredible vision for this world. I think we do as well. I really, really do. I loved hearing Mike and Danielle tell their story today, not only because of the incredible things they encountered. I love the fact that some people in our church, and I know there are more than two, but these two people are on fire for Jesus. And if it's not what God wants in their life, they're not going to bother with it anymore. You heard them say that, and they've seen God do dramatic and wonderful things. He has moved in power in and through their experience. I just want to leave you this. Anybody here want to experience that and know that reality among us? I know I do. And it is time, my friends, to do everything in our power. And I'm not just talking about the finances. Let me just throw that in. I forgot to say it. It's not just finances. It includes that. But it includes us being the people who say, Lord, what you want me to do, I will do. Anything in my power that you call me to do, I will go. What would you do if God said to you and your family, go to Africa for three months? I hope you would do it as these two did. And I hope your life would be transformed because of it. In other words, my friends, what's going to fulfill the vision of this church is when, when this church experiences a movement of the Holy Spirit and the, and the heart of God dwells in us and we get absolutely passionately committed to the things that God has called us to, both in service, sacrificial, serving, whether it be in the building or in the community or around the world, and when we give sacrificially, significantly that the kingdom might come. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that God gives us wisdom as we gather together now as a, as a church community. I, I really invite you to stay, even if it's just for the meatballs, you know? Because, my friends, God has a work for us to do. And God, through Luke 15, I hope, has spoken profoundly into your life and into our life. 
telling us that there are people who need Christ. Let's make it happen together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to just take a minute and say thank you for that that day that you were loving the lost and that day when you were heavily condemned and criticized and judged for doing so but you had the courage to stand up and say no wait a minute this is the heart of God what I'm doing is what my people ought to be doing we thank you Lord Jesus you were willing to come and die on the cross so that we who were once lost might be saved and Lord you died on the cross so that many people who are still lost might be saved in our prayer Lord our passionate prayer is that you would set us on fire so much so that we would give ourselves in every way to being like you, to accomplishing the things that you want us to accomplish, Lord, that we might have compassion in our hearts for people who are in a bit of a desperate situation and who really, really need you. So God, guide us now as a congregation. Bless us as we seek your will together, as we seek to be like you in our world. And this we pray. Lord Jesus, in your name.